In a world where some of the greatest motion pictures ever made are reaching their 30th anniversaries, one group of friends gathered together to pay tribute to these films. This year, we travel back in time to 1984 and 85. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. You're back with the 30-something movies podcast. This time, we're going to take a quick break from our normal show, and it's your host, John Reed, flying solo. We're going to jump back to 1984 and take a look at a movie that Leonard Nimoy both directed and starred in. Uh, Leonard Nimoy, the actor, played Spock from the Star Trek TV show and movies, uh, passed away last week. So we thought this might be a good time to jump in, interrupt our regularly scheduled broadcast to bring you a quick look at the 1984 movie Star Trek 3 The Search for Spock takes place in the shadow of new life, the sunrise of a new world, a world that our beloved comrade gave his life to protect and nourish. He did not feel the sacrifice of vain or empty one. Of my friend, I can only say this. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. Before. 
So finding out the other day that Leonard Nimoy had passed away, this movie wasn't originally on our list of films that we were going to be covering, but I thought it was appropriate since it did come out in 1984, and since we have been looking at movies in 84 and 85, even though it wasn't officially on our list, I did want to spend just a little bit of time uh, talking about Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, because um, it does fit into our time frame, and Leonard Nimoy just passed away. So Star Trek Three: Search for Spock, I remember this as being the the one movie that kind of fell in between my two favorite Star Trek movies as a kid. I remember, in terms of the movies, I remember seeing the first one at some point, but it was kind of, for a kid, it was kind of long and boring. I remember the very end of that movie, but I didn't really care too much about the first um, three or four or five hours of it. And then Star Trek II, I do remember, because we would watch that all the time. I think my dad really liked showing uh, the scenes. Well, he liked Khan, and I think he really liked showing the scenes where uh, the worms end up going in everybody's ears. And so that was always something I remember watching every now and then. And so two, uh, Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, was one that I remember seeing quite a bit as a kid growing up. And then I remember... Also, as a kid, uh, number four being one of my favorites, just because, just because it was funny. It was you know they weren't in their usual situation, and it was a Star Trek movie where you had to go save whales, and that's not exactly, you know, most of your sci-fi movies. That's not, not what ends up happening. And so, and you know, and and I've always liked movies that deal with time travel. Any story or movie that has something to do with time travel. I, I go nuts for it, so you'll hear more about that when we end up talking about Back to the Future um, a little bit later, but I'm, I'm a big fan of anything that has something to do with time travel. So Star Trek Three was kind of a weird one because this was a time when I was a kid and I was watching these. It wasn't when it first came out. Um, I would have been too young for that, but I do remember in the late 80s, early 90s, I'm typically more of a Star Wars fan, and in the late 80s, early 90s, I was more of a Star Trek fan because there wasn't much Star Wars around. I have a note somewhere of something that I wrote in school that I was able to see Return of the Jedi in the movie theater in 1986, so they must have brought it back out again um, and put it in the movie theaters in 86 because I have something I wrote in, um, I think it was first grade. Uh, talking about how the weekend before I had just gone to see Return of the Jedi in the theater. But between that and then when the first of the Star Wars books started to come out, which I think was in 91, um, there wasn't a whole lot of Star Wars around. So I think as a fan, I kind of switched, and I had some friends in school who were also Star Trek fans, and so I think I kind of switched from being a Star Wars fan to being a Star Trek fan, for a little bit, and so then I really got into it. Like we had, I had a Star Trek game on the computer that I would play all the time. I knew a ton of Star Trek trivia from the old TV series, which I've now forgotten most of that. The Next Generation was on at the time. Uh, Deep Space Nine was getting started um, just a few years later, and so that was kind of my, you know, my being a fan kind of picked up at that point. And I would go back and I would rewatch all the different movies. I think the first movie that I remember seeing in the theater for Star Trek was Star Trek V. But 3 was kind of an interesting one because 3, as a kid, I don't think I had too many problems with it. Um, you know, as a kid, the story didn't seem 
off to me or clunky or whatever. Other other people that have seen uh, Star Trek Three tend to complain about the story and how it tries to do too much. As a kid, I never caught that. And, you know, I went and just rewatched it uh, just yesterday. And I I don't have too many problems with the story. Uh, it's not as exciting to me. I know some people who criticize Wrath of Khan say that Wrath of Khan is not very exciting either. Um, but I think it is. I like Wrath of Khan. Uh, and I like Star Trek Four as well. Um, some people just they they kind of criticize three for being not very not very exciting movie, and I can kind of see that it does get off to a bit of a slow start, um, but where it builds with the the sense that there's something going on with Doctor McCoy that part was kind of interesting, um, but you know as a kid I, I don't know that I ever picked up, I, I picked up on the fact that if I was going to sit down and watch one I'd rather watch two or four, um, and I wouldn't necessarily pick up three. Now, three, from the point where they get to the Genesis planet, from that point on, sure, fine, I'll, I'm, I'm good to go. Um, but the beginning of the movie was probably maybe a little slow. So if I was watching it on VHS or DVD, I'd probably fast forward until I got to, um, until I got to the later half of the movie. Um, so this movie did come out, just to back up a little bit, this movie did come out June 1st, 1984. Uh, it was directed by Leonard Nimoy. That's another reason that we're kind of looking at this, um, because it was one that featured the return of his character, who had died. Spoiler alert! Uh, at the end of, I was I should remember to say that before I say that something big happened in the movie. Um, but uh, Spock dying at the end of Wrath of Khan, and then uh, you know, if at the time when this movie came out. It didn't give something away because the movie is called Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. That in and of itself is a bit of a spoiler. But uh, so Leonard Nimoy did direct this movie. It came out June 1st, 1984. So this movie is coming out right around the same time, um, like the same week, as Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Gremlins, uh, Ghostbusters, and I think maybe one or two other really big movies. So this week in 1984, June 1984, must have just blown people's minds. Um, when I think about you know, looking at what movies are coming out this year and next year with all the Avengers and the Batman v Superman and all this other stuff and just, just hammering away during the summer, I look at this and I go, oh my goodness, th this came out the same week or, or the same kind of couple of weeks as Temple of Doom, Gremlins, and Ghostbusters, you just have this amazing amount of movies coming out just all at the same time, and it still did uh, remarkably well. Um, it had a, had a budget of about $16 million, um, did about $87 million in the box office, which obviously is not too, it's not too shabby, um, particularly when you're up against all these other movies. Um, so a couple of interesting things about this. Um, with this movie, they, um, as I understand it, the writer, he took the story and he decided that he was going to write this in a little bit of a different way. He wanted some things to be surprising. So he took the story and he wrote it backwards. So the scene at the end of the movie where Spock, even though he doesn't have his full memories back, uh, he looks at, uh, Captain Kirk and says, Jim, your name is Jim. Uh, apparently that was the very beginning of the script uh, of the story, 
when uh, Harve Bennett, the man who produced a lot of the Star Trek movies and, and wrote um, some of them, uh, he started the script from there and wrote the story backwards. Um, so that might be one of the reasons why some people have some trouble with the story, maybe with that, um, you know, some of the storytelling did not get worked out to some people's satisfaction. Again, I don't have too much trouble with the story, but it does seem like there is way more action, uh, at the very beginning of the story. Um, you know, so maybe Harv Bennett was more excited about this when he first started writing it. And then as it went on, um, you know, it was a little, a little tougher to flesh some things out there towards the end. Um, some people kind of criticize this movie. Roger Ebert himself actually said that this one had a tone um, that was a mixture of, or maybe a compromise between the first Star Trek and the second one. So the second one being um, a little more action-packed, and the first one being a little more, hmm, I don't know, tedious maybe is the right word, um, but that this one was trying to be a kind of a compromise between the two. Well, of course, the adventure always continues, and Spock, in a way, is on screen the whole time because mm -hmm. his ideas and his presence and his memory are very important throughout yeah. the movie, so I wasn't cheated by the oh. fact we only saw him at the end. I thought this was a good but not a great Star Trek movie. It wasn't as good as the second one. I agree. The first one was kind of a low-budget Star Wars. They had yeah. all the special effects. The second one returned to the Star Trek tradition, which is, let's make a movie about ideas and about the nature of humanity and the nature of intelligence. Mm -hmm. right. This one is kind of a compromise. There's a little bit of that Vulcan philosophy there, right. and there's also a lot of special effects, including that really good fight in the volcano planet where yeah. Kirk takes on the alien commander. Yeah. So it kind of had a compromise between the first two. Yeah. It was good, but it wasn't great Star Trek material. Uh, James Horner came back to compose the music for this one, as he did with a lot of the... Star Trek movies. Um, Industrial Light and Magic worked on the ship designs and some of the special effects for this movie. Um, as I understand, they did a little bit for Wrath of Khan, um, but then they came back and did quite a bit for, or quite a bit to all of the effects for Star Trek III. Um, and you can kind of tell some of the, some of the times where you have, uh, I, I know in particular explosions, when ships are exploding, um, that I did read somewhere they had kind of uh, tested that effect um, for different ship explosions and what that would look like um, during Return of the Jedi. And after they had kind of tested that out for Return of the Jedi, they were able to then use some of those techniques uh, when it came to doing the special effects for um, the search for Spock. And so, um, yeah, the ILM worked on the uh, uh, special effects and designs. And, um, oh, another kind of interesting point, because we had talked about um, I think it was during Gremlins that the voice actor Frank Welker, uh, who also worked on Scooby-Doo and Transformers and um, uh, what was the other one? Uh, Inspector Gadget. He was uh, Dr. Claw and in Inspector Gadget, um, but did a lot of famous cartoon voices. He uh, did Spock's screams for the movie. So when Spock at his different... Uh, ages um, as the planet is changing and Spock is growing and aging rapidly. When you hear Spock screaming, then you are hearing the voice of Frank Welker, uh, who's a famous uh, voiceover artist and, and cartoon uh, voice actor. So with this movie, I, um, you know, I always remember the, the scenes in particular that I really loved about this movie were, um, or at least the ones that kind of jumped out at me, 
were the uh, the biggest one right away is the Enterprise exploding. be like as a Star Wars fan mostly that would be like the uh, Millennium Falcon exploding um, you know it would be like going, going into your movie and towards the end of the movie Han Solo escapes but the Falcon explodes I've heard a lot of people and I tend to agree with it that sometimes the Millennium Falcon has in Star Wars has almost become like an extra actor within the movie like it's its own part um, and so it's almost like the death of a character, like the Falcon is a character, um, and it would be like having the death of a character in your movie. It was the same thing with the Enterprise, as, um, you know, somebody who was a pretty big Star Trek fan at the time, I didn't see that coming when I first saw this movie. So uh, that was a really big surprise to actually see that he was willing to blow it up um, to kind of trick the Klingons and, and get away uh, and kind of figure out a way to, to win in this situation. Um, now, the one thing with this movie that I, when I think about this movie, I think of this, and I know it's meant to be part of a trilogy um, that Harv Bennett and, and some of the other people were kind of putting together for Star Trek uh, with 2, 3, and 4. And to me, it's kind of an interesting one. It's We've got the uh, Star Trek 2 is kind of the, the revenge and sacrifice and, um, you know, the, the consequences of actions um, kind of coming about is, is your Star Trek II themes. Um, Star Trek Three to me, um, is your... It's a lot of your what would you do for your friends, like how far would you be willing to go uh, for your friends type of a movie. And then four ends up being, I think they kind of decided by the time they got to four was, you know, this has been kind of a very heavy handed, depressing, not, not necessarily depressing, but a very heavy handed, serious, um, you know, two and three, or let's, let's make four the fun one. So we've got all the friends back together again. Um, and yeah, we're still going to have this other crazy stuff going on, but let's make this one a little more fun. Um, and so that's kind of the way I, I see those three movies fitting together. And it does, you know, three does have, you know, kind of a serious tone to it. I will say, too, as a kid, it was one of the first times that I ever remember, and I'm sure this has happened other times. In fact, I know it happened um, with the Back to the Future movies, but I don't think I noticed it. This is the first time as a kid that I remember noticing a character was being played by a different actor. The character of Lieutenant Savick um, in the movie was played by Kirstie Alley in the first one. Um, and then we have a different actress uh, playing Savick in this movie. And so I, as a kid, that was something that um, I noticed for the very first time. I don't recall any other movie or TV show where, uh, where a character changed actors, um, same character but different actors. Um, I know it happened with Marty's girlfriend, Jennifer, in the Back to the Future movies, but I didn't notice it. Um, but watching this as a kid, I, I distinctly noticed, like, wait a minute, that's not the same person. Um, 
So that was kind of you know something interesting for me with with Star Trek Three was to notice something like that for the first time. You can tell that the actors in Star Trek Three were comfortable in their roles, and I think that um, you know with Leonard Nimoy directing them, that you've got somebody. I mean, these people have been working together for years, and you can tell that he was able to, um, you know, he was able to get good performances out of out of all of them. Um, you know, as with any other Star Trek movie, there, you know, and that's a criticism people will have of the Star Wars movies as well, but. Um, you know, the acting is not always, you're not going to get an Oscar for the acting. Um, but, uh, you know, he was able to get really good performances out of all of the characters. Um, and it was just, I, I think it's just one of, one of the uh, fun Star Trek movie. Is it my favorite? No, but it's also, you know, not my least favorite of all the different movies. Um, I do tend to agree for when people say that, um, you know, it tends to be the evens. Uh, if you break up the Star Trek movies and you look at the even-numbered movies and the odd-numbered movies, that the even-numbered movies do tend to be the better ones. So you have Star Trek The Motion Picture, Star Trek Three, um, Star Trek Five, Star Trek Seven Generations. Um, you know, and as you go as you go through those, the odd-numbered ones tend to be the ones that are not quite as strong. Um, whereas the even-numbered ones, you've got Wrath of Khan, um, you have Star Trek Four. The Voyage Home, you've got Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, you've got Star Trek VIII, which was First Contact, the one with the Borg, um, another time travel movie. But uh, you know, I, I kind of tend to agree with that numbering a little bit, that it does tend to be the even ones um, that are kind of the more fun Star Trek movies. So I know that Leonard Nimoy was famous for more than just Star Trek. Um, in fact, probably one of the first times I ever saw him um, but didn't realize it would have been uh, Twilight Zone. We used to watch Twilight Zone when I was a kid, and um, you know I probably would have seen that before seeing some of the Star Trek movies, um, or maybe around the same time. Um, but I do know that he was in at least one episode of the Twilight Zone, um, you know, and, and on several other TV shows too. So I don't know which I would have seen him in first. Um, but I know that uh, definitely he, he was known for a little bit more than just Star Trek, but that obviously is his most um, well-known role uh, of all the different ones that he did. Um, but uh, what, was, what was interesting to me was to find out, after he passed away a few days ago, um, to read some of the articles to find out that a lot of the religious aspects of the Vulcans of Spock that he was trying to portray... Um, came from his Jewish heritage, and I didn't know that. I didn't know anything about that, um, you know, for him as a person. Um, and so that was kind of interesting to find out that some of the different things that uh, he brought into the character were a part of him rediscovering that part of himself, that part of his heritage, um, and how he was able to kind of tie that into, um, you know, his his character. and And that explains... I think some of the maybe more spiritual and religious aspects of Star Trek Three. I think with some of that, we see a lot of um, you see a lot of spiritual imagery. Um, you know, you have a you have a planet that's called the Genesis Planet. Um, you know, you have a battle in what looks like this hellish landscape um, between Kirk and the Klingon commander. Um, 
which Christopher Lloyd, again, time travel, Doc Brown. Um, but uh, And then you have the religious ceremony at the end, and you've got the whole idea of, you know, this is a very spiritual, mystical thing that you can separate a mind from a body and that they can, at least temporarily, exist apart from each other and that you could bring them back together. This is not really your your scientific Star Trek, um, you know, your usual fare for a Star Trek. So this was something that I thought was kind of an interesting thing for them to bring in, but also it explains a lot when you know that Leonard Nimoy was the one directing this movie, um, you know, and that you know, I'm sure he brought some of that into it as well um, as they were kind of putting together the, the story and how this would all play out ultimately on the screen. So again, I know this is totally separate from uh, our other movies that we're going to be looking at over the course of this year. Um, in fact, we're coming up next. We're going to be recording um, very soon, in uh, about a week or so, we're going to be recording our episode in which we have um, The Breakfast Club and 16 Candles. So expect that to be out um, probably early to mid-March um, as we get that uh, episode recorded. And then once we get that all edited and put together, then um, we'll have that out probably in the middle of March or so. And um, yeah, so I, this, I, and, and this may happen from time to time where we'll throw in, if the whole group is not together, um, but something like this comes up and, and we throw in one of these uh, movies that was kind of for the same year, um, it might have a, a little mini episode like this where we just kind of throw some of that in and um, talk about another movie that was out around this time period. Um, but especially because Leonard Nimoy had just passed away, uh, kind of felt that it was maybe a, a good idea to, to talk about Star Trek Three because it was actually sitting right there on my Netflix queue. And um, you know, knowing that he directed it and, and that he had just passed, that this would be a good time to just kind of jump on here and, and do a quick recording and, and get this out here. So so take a look for our next episode. Uh, it's going to be coming up very soon within the next couple of weeks, and that will be 16 Candles and The Breakfast Club. And if you have not yet, uh, you can find us on Twitter, at 30podcast. That's at 30podcast on Twitter. We also have a Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash 30podcast. That's facebook.com slash 30podcast. And we can keep the conversations going there. If you've got some other things you would like to um, post up there, you know, questions or comments um, about some of the movies we've been talking about, that's a great place to go and do that because then we can um, join in the conversation and keep it going together. So please feel free to get in touch with us either through Twitter or the Facebook page if you have any comments about the movies that we've been taking a look at um, or if you would like to send in some comments about movies we'll be looking at in the future and I will be posting up our schedule for the rest of the year our monthly schedule for what movies we'll be talking about which months um, and I'll be doing that shortly on both the Facebook page and the Twitter and we will see you back soon with our next episode thanks a lot